0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and in this episode, I'm pleased to bring you my chat with Oscar Trimboli. We all know the old mantra we all learnt to talk, but so few of us have ever learned to listen. Well, for you, that's about to change. You're about to become one of the 2% with this listening masterclass. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Oscar Trimboli. Oscar Trimboli, welcome to the Team Guru
1: Podcast. G'day, David. I'm really looking forward to listening to your questions today. Oscar,
0: I'm really looking forward to you telling me all about something that I know at different parts of my life, in different parts of the day, I'm really terrible at. We've heard the point made before. You made the point really well in your book that we spend a lot of time thinking about the way that we communicate, the way that the bits come out of us, whether it's through our writing or the way we speak. But we spend very little time thinking about how well we listen. And in fact, I think you said in your book, only 2% of us really train in good listening. So I can't wait for this conversation. I'm really interested to hear some of the tips. And of course, my listeners will know we always finish the podcast with some really tangible tips. But to get there, I'm fascinated to learn what you know about we humans and how good or bad we are generally about listening and and what some of those good and bad habits are. So let me start with the most general question of all. Are we good listeners?
1: We're brilliant listeners. Even before we're born, we're great listeners. At 20 weeks in your mother's womb, you can distinguish your mother's voice from any other sound out there. And that's really important if you want to get some food when you come out the other side. But at 32 weeks, we can distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi from Beaver. And the minute we're born, coming into the world, despite the fact the first skill we ever learn is how to listen, we scream. In fact, David, on your birth certificate, when you scream is actually when they note the time that you are alive. That's the difference between you're born, you're not born. So the moment we're born, we're screaming and we note that down on a birth certificate and we spend the rest of our life thinking that communication, that two-way process of speaking and listening, we think the only way to get noticed is to speak, to speak loudly, to speak with influence. In fact, we've all done those training courses, right? And for most people in in a corporate career or in an organization, in the public sector, By the time they're in the second half of their career, they've done at least five courses in how to speak. How to speak with influence, how to speak with authority, how to command the room. And none of them have done any training in how to listen. And yet the managers we remember, the leaders we remember that had the biggest influence on our lives, the teachers that we remember the most are the ones that always are the ones that listen not just to what we say, but what we mean. They are able to listen to the words and listen a little bit further into our own hearts. And I think for most of us, if we just went back and unlearned all that stuff that was around us and go back to our most childlike curiosity, our listening would be amplified And the workplace will be really simple. You wouldn't have to go to work in progress meetings and go, yeah, I delivered on what you guys asked me to do. And they go, well, that's not what we asked you to do. Or projects that run behind schedule, projects that run late, or sales processes that don't deliver on what customers want, or great employees that leave. These are all the costs of not listening. So I think for all of us, let's just go back to that genuine wonderment we had as kids and we'll become amazing listeners again.
0: Is it that moment that we scream when we were first born, the the moment they decide that we're alive for the first time, do we start becoming worse listeners from that point because we have our first experience at being heard and then we start placing this unbalanced value on only half of the communication transaction, that being heard part.
1: Uh, You know, if I want to get fed as a child, the way I'm going to get noticed before I can speak is just to scream or cry or something like that. So I think part of that is actually coded into us as as we grow up and as we move into older years, whether that's at school or beyond. And I think for a lot of us, what we need to do is go, look, Speaking is what we see, speaking is what we hear, and the people who are extroverts and are really considered charismatic or amazing leaders, they tend to have a primary preference to speak first. But as I said earlier on, it's, it's us being heard is what we really, really, truly value. And I think for a lot of us, we just want people to take the time and pause because most people turn up to a conversation and they got a radio station playing in their head. So right now, I've got a radio station playing in my head between freaked out and figuring it out, and this is, we're trying to navigate what's happening in the world right now. And it means I can't be completely present in listening to what's going on. And in fact, it's happening for you right now, listening, whether you're commuting, whether you're at home, whether you're exercising, Right now you're distracted. And distraction's one of the biggest things in the way of our listening, David.
0: Yeah, to some level. And and I guess that gets me to that point about the modern world. You know, in our lifetime, you and I look like we're about the same vintage, Oscar, and <laughs> we are of this fabulous generation. I, I love my generation X. We're the ones in the middle. We were neither born with technology nor have we had a huge amount of trouble picking it up. We're not boomers, we're not wise. We're right in the middle, and through our life, the amount of information that is being thrown our way has always been enormous, but over the last 15 years, since my phone got the internet and everything else that happened in the world as a result of that, we have been hit with a ridiculous amount of information and noise in our life, and, and I'm guessing the answer is pretty simply there, that that's made us worse listeners. Is, is that a fair
1: assumption? I think technology is wonderful when you're choiceful about it when you choose when to use it and you choose when not to use it but too many of us don't we let the technology use us and i spent the best part of three decades marketing and selling technology i was a marketing director of microsoft and vodafone that connected all these bits together and on the one hand i was renowned for being someone who talked about the benefits of technology and equally, I was kind of the, the person inside the organization that always asked people to take a moment, to pause, to switch off that device. And it was prompted to me in 2012, a vice president of Microsoft traveled from Seattle to Sydney, about a 24-hour flight, David, and I was hosting 20 executives Peter ran a really big organisation. He had the best part of 30,000 employees, best part of about $14 billion in revenue, a B with a B. <laughs> and he'd come to that meeting, literally travelled through the night and came into that meeting at, uh, it was a Tuesday, it was at nine o'clock, it was a city hotel in Sydney. And as we sat down on this big table, i just introduced Peter to the room. And he stood up and walked away, <laughs> and it's like, "Oh wow, we're off to a great start here and He <laughs> nailed it, yeah, and what he did was he took his cell phone out of his pocket and put it in the bag, and turned to the room, sat down at the head of the table, and apologized to everybody, and said, "I'm really sorry. The most important thing I can give you right now is my attention. I'm here, I'm listening." And what happened next was amazing. What happened next was 17 of the 20 CEOs switched their phones off, turned around and put them in their bags behind them across the room. Three didn't because we heard those phones buzzing on vibrate mode for the rest of the meeting. But <laughs> they they call it the Peter Pay Attention Club. This group of 20 CEOs, after Peter left the room, we did a debrief. And the most interesting thing happened they meet regularly in scenarios where they're all competitors. But for the time they were in that room, while they were all actually paying attention, they said that was the most different meeting. And the first meeting, they didn't actually talk about technologies, but the real issues they were struggling with in their organizations, just because everybody paid attention. And I think the lesson in that is when it comes to technology, You know, Peter worked for one of the biggest technology companies in the world, but he was choiceful in how he used technology, but he was also choiceful as a leader. As leaders, we role model what it is to be great listeners. And the simple act of giving attention is one thing and paying attention is another. So I asked Peter about four weeks later when we debriefed the actions, I said, hey, you know, when you gave your attention to the room? And he said, no, 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 Oscar. He said, I paid attention to the room. And I said, actually, no, I'm going to call you out on that one. Uh, I think giving and paying attention are two completely different things. Paying attention feels like you're paying taxation, and giving attention comes from a very human place. And he said, oh, okay. wow, you taught me something today as well. So I think for a lot of us as leaders, do we give attention? Or do we pay attention? And most of us don't even get to the point of giving or paying attention because we're head buried in a laptop, a cell phone, an iPad, a tablet or something else that's distracting us in the moment. And we've surveyed 1,410 people in our database and we know the biggest barrier to everybody listening is distraction and the number one distraction is the mobile phone.
0: So the excuse is there if we want it. Technology is all around it and we can choose to use it. We can be distracted by it, but it comes down to a bit of self-leadership is -hmm. what you're saying. I love that story. And one of the things that amazes me about that story was despite the movement in the room, there were still three people who didn't turn off their mobile phone. They didn't get the vibe of what was happening. That's pretty amazing to me. All right. Now, I want to talk to you about this lovely list of four unconscious listeners that you have Because, Oscar, I'm someone who wants to be a good listener. I go into a lot of situations thinking, okay, listen, you're going to listen the whole time. You're going to be on, and you're going to hear all of it, and you're going to absorb all of it. And before I know it, 20 minutes has passed, and I have been lost in my thoughts, and I haven't been listening like I wanted to. And I've been having that conversation with myself Oscar, since I can remember. I'm talking high school. Mm. I, I remember sitting in class in high school and thinking to myself, all right, today's the day. You're going to listen to the whole thing that the teacher's got to say. And then, like I said, before I know it, 20 minutes has passed and a and whole bunch of it has passed me by. Meetings can sometimes be the same for me now. Mm. That's why I really like this list of unconscious listeners that you came up with. They all- kind of appealed to me they they all resonated with me to some extent can you take us through those four
1: yeah i think it's really critical to understand that listening is situational it's relational and it's contextual so what does that mean it means you'll listen differently to a parent than you will to a principal to a police person you'll listen differently to an accountant than you will to an actor so these four villains of listening have all come about through the research i mentioned that people were self-identifying some of the barriers that were getting in their way. And I think just before, David, just before we jump into the four villains of listening, I want to take you through a bit of the neuroscience of listening and what happens to the brain when you talk about you drifting off when you were trying to pay attention. So there's three numbers that you need to know. If you know these three numbers, you can literally switch off the rest of the podcast you don't have to pay don't any Don't tell them that, Oscar. <laughs> I did that at a workshop a couple of weeks ago and this beautiful Russian lady stood up and said, thank you in a very thick Russian accent. She says, I'm going to email you because this maths of the brain has just explained to me what I need to do. And again, when we talk about only half our day spent listening and the more senior you are, the more of your day you spend listening. Like, If you're in an exec role or a chair, you're probably spending four out of five days a week listening, and yet you don't have the listening muscle. If you know these numbers, these numbers will set you free. So, the first two numbers we want to know is the 125-400 rule. Mm. That means I speak at 125 words a minute, and you can listen at 400 words a minute. So, right now, I'm speaking too slowly for your brain. Your brain is filling in the gaps. Your brain is jumping ahead. Your brain is thinking about what you need to do for dinner tonight. Your brain is thinking about what you need to do on the weekend. And before you know it, you're not even present in the conversation. So welcome back if that's happening to you right now while you're (laughs) listening. Because for most of us, it is. And the difference between a distracted listener and a deep listener I'm not a perfect listener, David, and far from it. What I do do differently from other people is I notice when I'm distracted faster. When you notice you're distracted, you can come back into the conversation. So if I auction property or cattle, I will be talking about 200 words a minute, and you can still comprehend what I'm saying because I'm talking about 200 words per minute right now. For most of us, we can comprehend up to three times that. We can listen at 300 words a minute. Blind people who listen to audio books, as an example, can play at three times speed and still retain comprehension. But the reality is for the rest of us, we fill in gaps, we go and look for similarities and differences in the conversation and we say to ourselves, well, how's that similar to my experience? Or how's that different from my experience? And all of a sudden we're drifting off. So the 125-400 rules tells you the barriers you have as a listener, but it's worse for the speaker. And the speaker's unconscious of this, and so are you as a listener. So this is the 125-900 rule. That means I speak at 125 words a minute. I can think at 900 words a minute. Yeah. And the likelihood that the first thing out of my mouth is what I actually mean, David, is there's a one in nine chance or 11%. Now, I have dyscalculus, which means I don't have a great relationship with numbers, but someone pointed <laughs> out to me that it was 11%. So here's the question I've got for you, David. How many times do you just listen to the first thing somebody says and then continue the conversation from that point? Or do you just pause a little longer, listen to silence, treat silence like it's another word, and then get into the conversation? Because if you understand those three numbers, 125-400, 125-900, you will understand why you need to switch off your cell phone, your laptop, why you need to take three deep breaths and drink water. When it comes to the conversation, but we'll finish that up at the end when you want those three big tips. Let's talk about the four villains of listening, unless you've got any questions about the neuroscience there, Dave.
0: Yeah, I do. I'm just really interested in your idea then around the concept of patience. I'm guessing that if I'm a patient listener and allowing you the time to speak in your 125 words per minute mm. while my brain is ticking along at 400 words a minute, rather than diving into, You know, even the synthesis, even putting together what you've said with the other stuff I know, just holding back from that and having the patience to stay present and in this conversation.
1: Mm. If Yoda from Star Wars was here right now, you know what he'd say to us? He says, the most important thing to listen to is what's not said. Listening to the unsaid is going to unlock the conversation. But Yoda would continue and he would say to you, David, your job as a listener is not to make sense of what they're saying. Your job as a listener is to help the speaker make sense of what they're saying. Because the brain wires very differently when you say something compared to when you think about it. So when you think about it, your brain's like a washing machine. It's very sudsy, it's agitated, it's moving around, but it's not really making progress. And the minute you speak, it's the rinse cycle clear water progress. It looks great. It's nice and clean. Our brain processes very differently when we say something out loud. And one of these villains are listening that we're going to talk about shortly is the interrupting villain. The interrupter will go, the minute you literally draw a breath, they will come in and interrupt. But the reality is you're drawing a breath to think through the idea fully. So if you have the patience and the orientation to say, my job as a listener is not to make sense of what they're saying, that doesn't mean you can't pay attention, but your job as a listener is to help the speaker make sense of what they're saying. And when you do that, they go, oh my goodness, you're an amazing listener, David, well done. But it also removes any attachment you have about making progress in the moment because one of the things modern humans are wide for is we want to progress the conversation. We want to get to the outcome so we can get to the next thing, so we can get to the next thing and go faster and faster and faster. But the reality is all we're doing is working on the wrong things faster because we haven't had the conversation that matters. Because if you pause and practice these three simple tips, tip number one, if when they pause, you pause. If you can't and they haven't said anything else, simply say, tell me more. And the third one is say, what else? So if you pause, say, tell me more or say, what else? What you'll notice is they'll take a deep breath in. They'll go something like, well, actually, David, what I meant to tell you was, or they'll say, mm, you know what, David, now that I think about it, can we talk about this instead? Or they'll say, now that I think about it, the critical issue is, Now, a lot of us are nodding knowingly while we're listening to this because when we do take the time to do that, the person's state changes and they're getting the next 125 and the next 125 words out of their head and out. Most of the time, if you stay there in the moment and you are present, you don't have to solve anything. They can figure it out themselves. And a lot of times people say to me, you didn't actually say much, Oscar, but I figured it out. I said, great. Wasn't that useful? And <laughs> That's the win- uh, Yeah. And people just say to me, How do you do it? How did you do that? And it's like, You did it. I was just your witness. But there is a great opportunity for us as listeners to create a space and a place for people to explore those ideas, to go on a journey to discover what's possible rather than just, hey, what's the quickest way we can get from A to B? Because the right destination might be Z, not B. And a lot of us don't do that. So, yeah, we can can play with that a little longer or we can talk about the dills of listening, the dramatic, interrupting, lost and shrewd listeners.
0: Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. Let's talk about these villains of listening, which I love. But just to refresh on those three things, those three tips that you just gave, you'll be an amazing listener if you, number one, pause when they pause. Number two, simply say, tell me more when they take a breath or they have a little pause. And number three, ask them what else? Because your job as a listener is to get them to have some clarity about what they're saying, to get them to make sense of what they're saying. Mm. I like it, Oscar. Oscar. Tell us, and how did I go there? Was I listening well? Did I did I get, did I make sense of what you were saying?
1: Well, I think you did a brilliant job. Your paraphrasing was spot on. So I think uh, <laughs> a lot of, hey, here's a dirty little secret for you listening. The hosts always freak out when I come on these interviews because they worry about how they're listening. And David's doing a great job. Well done, my friend. (laughs) Uh, I think, remember, you're a natural listener. Just don't forget to breathe. If you've got some water, now's a good time to have a drink. A hydrated brain is a listening brain. An oxygenated brain is a listening brain. And if you don't have those distractions around you, it's a one, two, three punch and you'll be an awesome listener. These deals of listening came again through the research, David. Uh, The funny thing is, whether it's the, the playing cards or listeningquiz.com where you can take a survey to find out more about which listening villain you are. is all because I was listening to my clients and they said, oh, it'd be great if you make a book, Oscar. It'd be great if you made playing cards. And quite often I'd never thought about this and, and the quizzes also came out of that. So we, we interviewed 1,410 people, a big undertaking. But what we wanted to understand is what gets in their way when it comes to listening. And we got some beautiful stories that came out of this. We got stories about near divorces. It reminds me about the story of Mick Foamy on the Harbour Bridge uh, going over Sydney, that very iconic building that Tourism Australia loves showing. David, it was feet eight- 16 on a Monday morning and the phone rings. And I remember it because those numbers on the dash have blazed in my brain. Because as I picked up the call, I didn't even get to say hello. Mick says to me, you nearly cost me my marriage last Friday. <laughs> so I took a deep breath and said, tell me more. Tell me more. And he said, <laughs> tell me more. Because in that moment, I'm going, oh, Lordy, what's going on here? I've cost someone their marriage. And he said, my wife it, it was Friday night last Friday. We'd finished dinner, we'd put the kids to bed. My wife was coming down the stairs and she said those words that every man hates, Honey, we need to talk.
0: I oh. said, I'm yours. In <laughs> I was wondering, what could they be?
1: <laughs> Can you relate? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they sat down at the dinner table, it had all been cleared. And his wife simply said to him, Looked him straight in the eye, and said, Look, this will be really simple. Just be honest with me. I know you're having an affair. All I need to know is who it is and then we can figure out what to do from that point on. Wow. In that moment, Mick, all all Mick could remember was take a deep breath. If Oscar was here, take a deep breath. Don't say anything. Just take a deep breath. So he took a deep breath and said, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect answer. It for her, absolutely, she got furious at him and said, why, why are you trying to distract? You know you're having an affair. I know you're having an affair. Just tell me who it is. Now, Mick is a bit of a joker. He's a bit of a trickster. And uh, he said, what's prompted you to say this? And she says, look, for the last 90 days, something's different. And then it clicked. He said, oh, okay. It's not what you think it's not who you think it is. And she goes, just tell me, just tell me, I can handle it. Just give me the truth, I can handle it. And he said, it's a man. And she burst into tears. And he said, no, 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 <laughs> not, not, not not, in that kind of way, but not that that's bad. He said, "He said, I've been working with a guy at work who's teaching me how to listen. And with that, she stopped crying, and she started to put the jigsaw puzzle pieces together. And after a brief conversation, she said to him, I've never felt more sexy than I have in the last 90 days. You've never paid me this much attention. Even when we were dating, I knew all this extra attention you were paying me had to be covering something else up. And that's why I thought you were having an affair. Wow. Now, that's a fascinating story. And it's an intriguing story to me that if you pay attention to somebody, they think it's really sexy. Now, the postscript to that story that we can't say on this podcast was very X rated because he then went on to describe the best night since his honeymoon to me, which we probably isn't appropriate for this conversation. <laughs> don't go there, Oscar. I don't want to
0: have to tick that box. When you load the podcast to
1: SoundCloud, there's a box to tick for that kind of stuff. Is there uh, well, well let's let's make sure we don't go there. But you get the point. And for a lot of us, we we crave this. Now, back to our villains. For all of us, these four villains I'm going to talk about all show up in different ways, in different places. The first villain is the dramatic listener. The dramatic listener loves your stories. They love listening to the emotion in your story. They love it when there's conflict in your story. If you say, oh, gee, I'm going through a tough merger right now. The dramatic listener will say, you think you've got a tough merger? Let me tell you about the merger I had in 1861. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, you think you've got a tough boss. That, Let listener. me tell you about how tough my boss is. So they they love your story because it gives them a stage to play on. It gives them an yeah. opportunity to be on stage, center act, and it's all about them. Yeah. So that's a dramatic listener. By the way, these villains are not Gender-specific, they. Uh, it I was really frustrating for me because I would have loved to have seen a gender difference in all these villains, but they pretty much land 50-50 for men and women, which is right. something that people always say to me, do men and women listen differently? And I say, look, multiple academic studies plus the research I've done, there is no difference. Yet, here's the advice I would give to men, and I can give this to men only, Men, stop listening to fix. If you listen to feel, you'll be fine. And women, guys naturally try and fix you. Tell them to stop it and preempt and just say, I just want to explain what's going on. I don't want you to fix it at the beginning of the conversation. And it will be a brilliant conversation and you'll both listen to each other. So the dramatic listener is the first villain of listening. And men tend to listen to fix and women tend to listen to feel. The second one is the interrupting listener i thought this one would be disproportionate in the database because it's the most obvious the minute you draw breath they jump in and interrupt they think the Mm. minute you draw breath that's their commercial break the classic interrupting listener is a a radio shock jock who doesn't even give you the chance to finish your statement let alone draw breath now funnily enough the interrupting listener is really well intentioned why they're really well intentioned they're trying to fix something But they're trying to fix a problem you haven't really explained at the moment to you. So you've got to be careful when you're the interrupting listener because you're the quiz show contestant who presses the buzzer too early and answers the wrong question on who wants to be a millionaire or any other show like that. So, dramatic, interrupting, and lost listener. Now, David, you did a great job of describing the lost listener earlier on. You know, the one that gets drifting off and distracted Mm. in the conversation. Yeah. Well, they they might say something like, um, you know, the really critical thing about this in menu is the bananas with the sugar. And you go, oh, yeah, I remember the last time I had an awesome pancake with banana and sugar after i did that really big swim i went from uh, i went 20 k's across Rotness island and all of a sudden you've drifted off and you're not in the conversation now the lost listener really has to practice those three tips we talked about earlier on because they're distracted internally and they're distracted mm-hmm. externally the external distractions switch off your phone switch off your laptop switch off any electronic devices and drink water And take three deep breaths when you know you're distracted, because a hydrated brain and an oxygenated brain is a listening brain. Now, the last listener is the shrewd listener. The shrewd listener, if you can visualize this, here's me putting my hand on my chin, tilting my head slightly to the side to foe some kind of interest in what you're saying. But here's the subtitle captioning while you're explaining your problem to a shrewd listener. Shrewd listeners disproportionately represented in lawyers, accountants, salespeople, anybody who takes a brief like a doctor or a physio or some kind of professional trainer, consultant, those kind of people, even executive coaches, they'll tilt their head to the side and they'll nod and they'll make really nice sounds and they'll go, hmm. But the captioning coming up on the TV show in their head is saying, oh my goodness, really? Is that your problem? I can solve that problem so simple. I wish you'd give me a complex problem because I'm such an expert. And again, they're not paying attention. They're not in the moment. They're not noticing what's going on with the nonverbals. They're not noticing language context and all kinds of things like that. David, I am the shrewd listener at work. I'm going to out myself. I was
0: going to ask you about that. Yeah, I
1: played that role. I played that role way too well. But at home, I'm the lost listener. At home on right. The Lost Listener because I cannot put up with another story about my brother-in-law's debating the relative merits of a Nikon versus a Canon camera and <laughs> post-production with Adobe Photoshop. Like, And then if they get onto a story talking about 13A Orchards Road in Johannesburg where they grew up, man, I could draw that place and I've never been there. I've heard so many stories And I just switch right off. And a lot of times I have to say, oh, sorry, could you say that again? I wasn't sure if you were talking to me or you were just reminiscing about the past. So the the point of the story is simple. We all struggle with our listening. Let's give you all some really basic frameworks to make some simple progress every day. And your ability to listen is both about your ability to know what these frameworks are, but just to... Know that it's okay to make progress. Some days you're going to be distracted, some days you're not. But if you make progress every single day, that's all we want to do because the world could do with a little bit more listening right now. And whether, you know, in the current environment, David, the frustration for me is when we're talking COVID 19 and Dr. Lai, who was an ophthalmologist, the first person in China to notice this problem as a doctor. He explained to a small group of people on his social media application that he thought this was a big issue, that this virus was more significant than SARS. And news got out that he'd said this and he was shut down by the Chinese government and we lost nine days in treating it because Mm. he was called out for negative propaganda against the state. And whether it's that or the global financial crisis, there are many voices that speak up, that aren't heard, that have huge consequences. The BP Deepwater Horizon engineers were telling management that there was an issue with safety and it ended up costing BP nearly $50 billion in fixing up oil leaks all across Louisiana. And the GFC was predicted three years. There's a paper that was presented at a central bankers conference by Dr. Rajan about this very issue and all these voices were ignored. And I think for a lot of us in our workplaces, we have a dogma or we think there's an answer to everything and sometimes we don't listen to voices that are different to ours. We don't listen to voices from different professions or different industries. And the cost of that is pretty big. So my ask for everybody is listening costs very little, not listening costs a lot. So for mm. all of us, we just take a little bit of extra time to listen to somebody else, you'll never know what you'll unlock or, more importantly, what you might stop.
0: It's very interesting. You're so right to point out the cost of not listening. Look, there were so many interesting things about those villains of listening. You, As you said, you relate to the shrewd listener or the shrewd unconscious listener and a little bit of the lost guy at home with your family. I very much relate to the lost guy. But it's those dramatic listeners that, that I really struggle with. You know, the the ty- all the interrupters, I think there's a bit of a, an overlap there. The type that as soon as you start talking, they think their job is to listen just for long enough until it prompts a memory in their own brain. And then they just talk about that. That becomes the conversation. And I find that one the most difficult of all. But sometimes I wonder, in my most generous ponderings, I think, is that person just trying to relate to me and they think that the best way to relate is to is to hear a little bit of what I've got to say and then just dive in with how they've had a similar experience and that is their attempt to relate. I find it really frustrating and I find that the emotional intelligence of those type of listeners is really low, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, just assuming they're just trying to relate with me and with what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. And- you've covered this off with other amazing guests where you talk about adult development theory and how people progress their consciousness between their orientation around themselves or around others and that definitely is a pointer to emotional intelligence i think the big thing we need to be aware of is that people who struggle tend to want to go and notice things that are similar so their level of maturity on that adult development model means maybe they're stuck in high school. I don't want to make it judgmental, but it's just helpful for us to understand there are some people in the workplace that you know are bringing a whole bunch of blah, and mental spaghetti because they haven't progressed their emotional maturity past high school. They relate to everybody mm. in that way. In You're either in my group or you're in another group. But as you step f- higher up and you, you evolve as an adult and there's a different state of consciousness, you're okay to listen for similarities and you're okay to listen for differences and you're also okay to listen for nothing you're okay to explore a world where the answer isn't obvious it isn't one or two or it isn't a or b or isn't red and blue you're okay to deal with ambiguity and i think for a lot of us we need to give those people the benefit of the doubt because in your noticing david what you're noticing is you have a higher state of consciousness around emotional maturity than them. And that's just where they're at. So, how can we be helpful for them in that mm. moment is what we want to do. So, you know, a simple question you might pose to that person is pause halfway through the conversation and simply say, Hey, just time out. How's this conversation going? Are you noticing any patterns between you and I that are productive or maybe not? (laughs) And for a lot of us, we don't take- that is
0: so bold. No, I can't imagine ever doing that. Oh, well, tell me more. What's bold about it? (laughs) It just seems it's absolutely the right thing to do. And perhaps I could do that in a professional setting where we really want to get to an outcome here, but in a social setting or, or with a family member- I can't. That it almost feels confrontational for me to feel as though they've, they've been a, a dramatic listener or an interrupting listener, and at some point in the conversation, because I've noticed that and I've noticed a pattern in them, for me to say to them, how's this conversation going for you? Mm. Because that's just, that's just me wanting to call them out on what I think
1: is an immature pattern of conversation. Okay. So the way to flip it in a personal context is simply to reference it in terms of a movie and go, hey, you remember the blah, blah movie where the two characters were blah, 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 blah. And a lot of the time, if you can get them out of that state and just getting them noticing something different. So you can do a movie, you can do a book, you can do a TV show, you can do a character. Anything that'll lift them out of that state will, in that context, you know for me i'm assuming i've got some level of trust when i say to somebody hey how's this conversation going are you getting what you need out of it and yeah in a prof- <laughs> in a professional context i can get away with that because you know if two professionals are having that conversation hopefully there's a relationship to go yeah i know what you're trying to yeah i know, I want you I want you to notice but for in a, in a personal context don't um, for goodness sake don't do this with your love partner that life partner you've chosen, you know, my wife always goes, you're doing that listening thing, stop it. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think for, for that context that you set up there, David, it's like, you know, I often have fun with, with movie characters, with nephews, nieces, those brother-in-laws I mentioned earlier on. Uh, I, and whatever story they're telling, I like, oh, wow. I can't help but think I'm in a movie right now. What what actor do you think you're making me? And what actor do you think you are right now? And like one brother-in-law, it's like, ah, oh, he loves movies, so he's right into it. But another one, is, uh, he's right into his sport. And I'm always going, ah, feel like I'm in the FA Cup final and you guys are Spurs and I'm Arsenal. And he's like off. And all of a sudden, that's a circuit breaker for the conversation.
0: Yeah, you use it as a circuit breaker. All right. Fascinating stuff. Now, Oscar, we're going to have to wrap up very soon. As fascinating mm. this as, as this has been, hit us with these couple of tips. So we've absorbed all of this wisdom about being a great listener, the highs and the lows, the downfalls that villains show us. What are those few things I can take away and remember in the tough times of listening so I can just incrementally improve my skill?
1: Yeah. Three things. Switch off all your electronic devices, mobile phones, laptops, computers, tablets, all of that. Get them out of the way. They're not going to actually improve the conversation. If the conversation is important enough to have, have it without the devices. Number two, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. So drink water. For every 30 minutes in a conversation, you should be drinking a glass of water. Sounds weird, doesn't it? But whenever I go into a building across the lobby, go in, And I switch off my phone, I put it in my bag, I go up the lift, I take three deep breaths and I go to reception. I always ask for water for me and the person I'm there with. Funnily enough, if you drink water during a conversation, most times you're very active pausing and drinking water. Your counterpart will do exactly the same thing as well. And it just gives them a chance to collect their brain. The body... And the brain, the brain's 5% of our body mass, but it consumes 26% of the blood sugars. So the fastest way to get blood sugars to the brain is to be hydrated and drink water. So tip number two, drink water. And tip number three, three deep breaths. The deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. And there was a bit of research done in Canada around that. And so those three tips, switch off your devices, drink water, three deep breaths.
0: Fabulous stuff, Oscar. That's a great place to leave it. Oscar Trimboli, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: And that was Oscar Trimboli. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So much good stuff. How about those listening villains? Lost, interrupting, shrewd, and dramatic. Which one annoys you the most? Which one are you at your worst? And of course, Oscar gave us that wonderful piece of simple advice. Pause when your speaking partner pauses. Ask them, tell me more. And third, ask what else? Because it's not your job as a listener to make sense of what they're saying. It's your job as a listener to help them make sense of what they're saying. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Oscar on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode of this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.